You may be seated. And a good morning again to everyone. Hope you all are doing well today. Feeling full of vim, vigor, and vitality. So in this current series, really it's a mini-series, the next few weeks we're grappling with certain misunderstandings about Christianity, misapprehensions of what the Bible says of who God is. And today, building on what we started last week, we're going to take a second bull by the horns. And this bull comes in the form of a well-known pseudo-spiritual truism. And that truism is this. I'm sure you've heard it. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Some of you have said that to me. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, It's not quite right. And in fact, the fact that it's not quite right is good news for us. So let me pray. Lord God, uh, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide and source of strength and power. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern. Amen. So people's familiarity with what the Bible actually says these days is kind of headed in the wrong direction. I think that's an argument that's not too difficult to justify. For instance, if you ask the average person, don't mean to embarrass anybody in here, but if you ask the average person, what was the forbidden fruit eaten by Adam and Eve in the garden, most people will probably say an apple. But actually, that's not what the Bible says. It, it just says fruit. For all we know, it could have been one of Mike's delicious tomatoes. They're very tempting. Uh, or if you ask people how many wise men there were, the top answer undoubtedly will be three wise men. But if, again, the Bible doesn't say. It only talks about three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in the very same manner, that adage that we're looking at today, God helps those who help themselves, that's also not quite right. About 15 years ago, uh, when I was in seminary taking all of my Bible classes, a friend came to visit me. Now, during those years, I had no money, and so I was always looking at ways to get some extra coin in my pocket. So this friend comes to visit, and one night we get into an argument, a somewhat heated argument about that statement, God helps those who help themselves. And I said to my friend, I said, listen, pal, trust me, I'm a professional, or I'm going to soon be a professional. That is not in the Bible. But he just knew it was in the Bible, and so he made a sizable bet with me. And then he stayed up all night till 2 or 3 in the morning searching for that verse. Next morning, he got up, and he tried to get out of paying me by saying, The Bible says, Thou shalt not gamble. But I told him, That verse is not in the Bible either. And so we went double or nothing, and I came out very well. Now, in actuality, that truism, God helps those who help themselves, that traces back to Aesop's fables from ancient Greece. There's a particular fable it goes to. In this fable, there's a guy driving his wagon, and the wagon wheel gets stuck in the mud, and so the guy gets down, he gets on his knees, uh, and he's praying to the God to unstick the wagon wheel. And all of a sudden, Hercules, one of the lesser gods, appears, and he says, hey, get off your knees and put your shoulder into it, and then you'll get that wagon unstuck. And Aesop sums up the fable by writing, the gods help those who help themselves. So that's where that actually comes from. It's an ancient saying, but it's not in the Bible. Now at this point, let me just stress, in case any of you are wondering, God does not call us to be passive. God has given each of us, me and you, a body, a mind, a will, and he wants us to take initiative and responsibility, and that is a good thing. So God will not typically ask for you to do something which God has enabled you to do by yourself. But 
even while God will not generally ask for you to do something that he enables you to do by yourself, he will help us. He will help you and me with the bigger problems. And the bigger problems in this life often come in precisely those areas where we cannot help ourselves. Which, by the way, is why, at least in my opinion, it is so odd and disconcerting that we encounter those bigger problems, the ones where we can't help ourselves. We frequently find within ourselves inner resistance to asking for help. Because asking for help can offend my pride. Asking for help can make us feel small or incompetent. And that tendency is absolutely tragic. Because a great danger, and we've all been in this danger, we've all known this danger, is that if we don't get help, then what started out as a problem can become a crisis. What started out as going over budget can end up in debt, in shame. What started out as a pattern of unresolved conflict can end up in divorce. A problem with sarcasm can lead you to a life where people don't want to be your friend anymore. So, here's the truth about me. I need help. That is a deep truth about me. And I'm going to tell you a little secret about you too. You need help. I want you to look at the person next to you and say that to them. You need help. Say it like you mean it because it's true. Now, from a human perspective, the entire story of the people of God in the Bible and their great adventure together begins with that single word, help. That's a good four-letter word. We see this in the Hebrew people. For example, earlier in the book of Exodus, this is what you read in Exodus 2. And the people of Israel were groaning because of being enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt, and they cried out for help, and their cry for rescue, for deliverance from slavery, it went up to God, and he heard it. And in response, God did not say, hey, guys, I want you to get organized. Show some initiative. Hey, there, you, get up. Put your shoulder to the wheel. I help those who help themselves. That's not what God said. He just helped. He delivered his people apart from anything they did. He fed a manna in the desert. He made the Red Sea part so they could walk through it. None of them had anything to do with that. Now, let's think for a moment about who God helps. And the short answer here, at least for today, is that God helps those who ask for help, even though sometimes he helps people even when they don't ask for help because God is really good like that. God helps people who are needy. God helps the weak. God helps people who are scared. God helps people who get in way over their heads. God helps people who cannot help themselves. Mostly, not always, but mostly, being the kind of person that God helps so that God will help means that you're a kind of person who is willing to pray. Because God helps those who pray. Because to pray is to ask for help and to look for help and to hope for help. In other words, what the Bible calls us to, rather than self-help, which we're surrounded with these days, God helps those who help themselves, rather than that, the Bible calls us to pray. Because those who follow Jesus are called to a life of prayer and a heart of prayer and an attitude of prayer. And at the center of that prayer is often that four-letter word, help. Now, I don't know where you are on the prayer deal. Maybe you're feeling disappointed by prayer. That happens. Maybe you're feeling guilty by prayer. That happens. Many of us can put prayer into the category of those things that I know I ought to do more of, but then you struggle to find the time to do it, and you end up feeling guilty, and then you start avoiding praying, and it gets worse. I've been in that cycle, too. Maybe you feel confused about prayer. You hear other people tell amazing stories about answers to prayer or feeling deep communion with God when they pray. But when you pray, your mind starts to wonder. 
and in no time at all you're thinking about being on the river this afternoon or what you watched on Netflix last night or when you're going to have your next Big Mac. That's me. Now maybe if we're really honest about this, and this is a good place to be really honest, the place where we are right now, maybe you don't believe in prayer. You have your doubts about it. Perhaps the idea of talking to an invisible, supernatural being doesn't always make sense to you. Maybe you think that prayer doesn't really change anything. After all, doesn't God already know everything he's going to do? Those thoughts have crossed my mind before. But maybe, just maybe, prayer is a great joy in your heart. Maybe you have known moments of peace in times of incredible trouble, or you've found courage in situations that would normally and regularly for you produce great fear, or you found strength and self-control in situations where you would normally make terrible choices. And so you can hardly put words to the gratitude that you feel for those times of prayer. I've had those times of prayer, and you know what? I want more of them. And I know a lot of you have had them too, and I know you want more of them. So wherever you are on the prayer deal, learning to ask God for help when you need it, there's a story in the Old Testament that's really pertinent to all this. It's a story about one of the very first times God taught his people that he helps those who cannot help themselves. And that's the story from Exodus 17 that Mike just read for us. It's a riveting story. Let me give you a brief recap about where we are in Exodus up until this point. In Exodus, God delivers the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. He did that because they cried out for help. He then leads them through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness. And as they start venturing towards the promised land, he provides for them. They're making it there, but it's going to take a while. And then we're told in Exodus 17 that quite out of the blue, the Israelites get attacked by this hostile group of people known as the Amalekites. They get attacked. Now, at this point, you've got to remember that the people of Israel are a people with a special mission. Their whole existence, their collective calling is to live under God's blessing in order to be a blessing from God to all the nations of the world. That is their unique mission. But now, because of the Amalekites attacking them, that whole mission is in jeopardy, and they have no idea why. Caught them off guard. And so in response, Moses, their great leader, calls a strategy session with his right-hand man, Joshua. Now, I want you to remember now that Moses had been raised in the house of Pharaoh. He'd been raised in the courts of the king of Israel, uh, of Egypt. And that means that he would have had military straining. He would have been someone who was coached and had to develop military strategies. So Joshua's coming into this meeting with big expectations. He's waiting with bated breath about what Moses is going to say they need to do in this situation where they are being assaulted. He's expecting some big, grand, brilliant battle plan strategy, but that is not what happens. Instead, Moses says to Joshua, verse 19 of Exodus 17, verse 9, he says, Go and choose some guys to get ready to fight the Amalekites. And then tomorrow, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go stand on that hill with the staff of God in my hands. That's the plan. The morning dawns. Moses climbs up the hill and he hikes up with his brother Aaron and with another guy called Hur. Scholars think that the name Hur means liberty, which will be a very fitting story since this is about liberated Hebrew slaves from Egypt. But I got to tell you, though, when I was studying this passage this week, uh, this story of Moses and Aaron and Hur going up the hill made me think of that famous Abbott and Costello sketch. Who's on first? Y'all know that? Who's on first? This is how I think it might have gone. Aaron, get her to come with us. You want her? I thought you wanted him. I do want him. Who is him? I told you, her. 
Something like that. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back to the main thing. Now, as it happens, Moses is going to have a crucial need for Aaron and her up on that mountain. They get up on the hill. Moses has raises, he raises his arms up to heaven towards God. And the text doesn't tell us a single word that he prayed, but he was praying now. Perhaps like a lot of people, Moses was a little bit reluctant to pray out loud. We know from Exodus 4 that he was slow of tongue. In other words, he had a speech impediment. Do you know that? Moses had a speech impediment. And so maybe no audible words came out of his mouth. That's okay. Prayer is not about generating lofty and high speech. It's about coming from the heart. And it's primarily about the one that we pray to. What we matters, what we pray matters less than who we pray to. What we pray matters less than the one to whom we pray. And so in this moment, on top of that hill, we witness this single act of Moses' prayer for will being expressed by his body. Help. Two arms up. Crying out to God. And then the most astounding thing happens. Help comes. Power from God comes for that battle that's happening down there in the valley. It's almost like an electric current is moving through Moses, into Moses, and through Moses, and beyond him to all those Israelite soldiers with Joshua, and they become unstoppable on the battlefield. They cannot be defeated. Defeated. It's a group of ex-slaves overcoming the Amalekites. It is mind-blowing. But after a while, and it's not hard to understand this, Moses' arms start to get tired. He can't keep holding those arms up, but when he lets his arms down... He notices that something happens on the battlefield with the soldiers. They begin to lose the battle when his arm goes down. Uh Uh-oh, what's going on here? So he gives it all he's got. He raises his arms again, and as he does that, the tide turns yet again. So he knows there's another power, another force here. There's another kingdom at work here. This is not just a battle against flesh and blood. There's another reality playing out on this battlefield. And in all of this, God is giving his people and he's giving us right now an embodied picture of a profound spiritual reality. And the reality is this, is that we're not made to live on our own. I'm not made to live that way and neither are you. We are made to live in dependence on God, in dependence on his power and presence. And this insight, this discovery gets deepened and elaborated over and over and over again in the Bible. And we see it supremely in Jesus Christ, the one who, as we heard in our gospel reading earlier, channeled God's power like nobody else, healing thousands of lepers and cripples, people bleeding, people with epilepsy and spirits. And that power is still here. It spreads. It goes on and on. An alcoholic called Davy, it's a good friend of mine, by the way, He lives in stubborn pride for a few years, and his battle is not with the Amalekites, it's with the bottle, and that enemy is killing him, and finally he hits rock bottom, and he realizes he's hopeless, and he lifts his arms to heaven, and he prays that single word, help. And then the battle for sobriety that he could never win on his own begins to turn, as long as he and millions of others every day raise those hands up, and they say, help me, God, help me. I cannot do this. My life is unmanageable. I am facing an enemy I cannot beat, so help me. Through that surrender comes victory. This is an invitation for all people. It's an invitation for all of you today. In your work, in your home, in your marriage and parenting relationships, in your addictions, whatever they may be, in your confusion, confusion with that diagnosis that just came. In your loss, in your fear, there is a battle going on. Everybody that you meet, all of you, we are all facing a great battle. 
and we are not meant to face these battles alone. But we often do. Why? Because what will keep me and what has kept me from asking for help is pride and self-sufficiency and ego. I'm going to tell you a personal story here. I know everyone's ears are going to perk up all of a sudden. When I was in my late 20s, I was struggling with depression, and I still struggle with depression. And I'm happy to talk to you about that struggle if you have it, because I've been struggling with it for many years, and I've developed some good patterns of care. But in my late 20s, I was struggling with it, and I didn't know about it at the time. And with that struggle, there was emotional volatility, and there was moodiness, and there was a tendency towards substance abuse. We all find ways to self-medicate, and there were physical health problems that came too. And I was far more challenged than I knew, and I was facing inner difficulties that I could or would not really recognize. Despite the fact that some people around me, people who cared for me and loved me, they were seeing that I was not okay. But despite that, yours truly was too proud or stubborn, but maybe also a little bit too fearful to admit that he needed help. And ironically, it was at this very time that I was starting my training to become a pastor because I believe that people need help. All people need help, just not me. The first step towards healing was really, really humbling. It was stimulated by a two-week-long series of panic attacks that severely disrupted my sleep and made me think I was going off the rails. And in the aftermath of this, I had to admit, I need help. I do have this struggle with depression, the anxiety that comes with it, the moodiness, the health problems. I don't have any of this figured out. I do not know what to do. I cannot help myself. I yield. I withdraw. Help me, God. And I went to a doctor, and then I went to a human counselor to do some talk therapy, and then I went to a divine counselor. By the way, God often chooses to use other humans to help us in these types of situations. In short, I had to learn to lift up my hands and to ask for help, and I'm still doing that. I'm still learning that. Some of you, you've already learned this well. It's second nature for you now. You've been walking with God a long time, and you have no shame, no inhibition about asking for help. Others of you, you may be learning that right now. That's great. We're journeying together. But some of you, you need to learn this. You really do. People who love you, people who know and care about you, they've been pointing out things in your life in better and sometimes worse ways too. They've been pointing out the challenges that you need help, but you won't have it. If this is you, it's time to get past that. Please. You're never too old. You're never too young. There is more for you. I do not want you to miss out. Ask God if that word is for you today. Now, at least as I see it, there are two great truths that can help me more habitually raise up my hands and ask for help. And we've got to get these truths embedded in our hearts and our minds. I like to think of them as two arms going up. First truth is this. God is able. God is able. According to the Bible, God is exceedingly able. He's able to speak the universe into being. Let there be light. And there was light. Can anyone else do that? Jesus was able to take loaves and fishes and feed thousands of people. He was able to heal lepers and paralytics and cripples like it was nothing. Did that for tens of thousands of people. St. Paul says that God can do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. God is able to do what we ask, but not just that. He's able to do all we ask. 
But not just that, he's able to do more than we can even ask. And not just that, he's able to do more than we can ask, but also imagine immeasurably more. And so class, how able is God? The answer is very able. Will you trust that? At least enough to turn to God when you need that help. And second truth is this, you don't want to miss it. God is willing. God is able, but God is also willing. God could be a very powerful being, but if God does not have a caring heart and a listening ear, I don't want to hold my hands up to heaven all day, and you probably don't either. And that's why you have to also see that God is willing. He's not just able, he is willing. He's willing to hear, he's willing to notice, he's willing to love, he's willing to act. How willing? He is very willing. He's willing enough to become like one of us, to leave the bliss and the splendor of heaven and to come down to this world where things are not always blissful and there's not always a lot of splendor. That's the doctrine of the incarnation, that in Jesus Christ, God became flesh. And part of what that means is that God learned, not abstractly, but firsthand, what it means, what it's like to need help. God learned that. When Jesus was a little boy, he would say to Mary, help me, help me, Mama. God said that. It's one of the first worlds a child learns. Help me get dressed. Help me eat my food. Help me wipe my hiney, even when I'm old enough to be doing it myself. But I confuse Jesus with my own kids. Is it not astounding the way that God humbled himself in Jesus, the maker of the universe coming down and saying, help me tie the laces on my sandals? But that is what happened. Now, if parents live long enough, things start to change. Some of you are already learning this. They start asking their children for help. Now, you need to help me get dressed. Now, you need to help me get nourished. We are born needing help, and we die needing help. But in between, however, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we don't need help. We can. Yet all it takes is a little age, a little health problem, a little blood vessel that's not working right, or an email from work saying you don't have that job anymore, and then in a quick moment we remember that word, help. I need help. In the end, Jesus, God made flesh. He couldn't even carry his cross by himself. He had to ask a guy called Simon from Cyrene to help carry that cross for him. And so the story of Jesus ends as it begins with a God who somehow knows what it is to be weak and small and unable and needing help. That's our God. That's how willing he is. So willing, so generous, never frustrated or impatient, not disinterested. So where do you need help from God? I want you to think about that and ask. God is able and willing to help people who cannot help themselves. But, and some of you might be wondering this, maybe just like Moses, you also need help from some other people too. Maybe your arms are getting pretty tired. Remember, one of the ways God often chooses to help us is through one another. There have been so many times in my life where I felt severely burdened, frayed, and burned out, and I had to call up a friend, and I had to say, I don't even know how to pray right now. I am so dispirited, I don't know what to say, so would you pray for me? Would you stand in the gap for me? And that friend would say, yes, I will do that. And then they become like Aaron and her to me. And we get to make these sacred moments together, game-changing moments. Just like Moses, as we face our battles, and what are our battles? They're battles with kids. They're battles to fight for our marriages. 
their battles against the vortex of materialism that comes with the type of affluence that we find ourselves living in, their battles against negative ideas about our bodies, battles against bitterness towards people, battles against crippling anxiety or fear, battles against the fingerprints of trauma that are all over our lives. We have to face all those battles just like Moses, and we get tired, really tired. And so just like Moses, we need some friends to come alongside and to hold up hands that don't have any strength left in them. And then to experience how in the midst of the weakness and neediness and brokenness, power from God gets unleashed that would never have come if we remain self-sufficient, relying on our own strength and in our ego. That's our reality. And that's what life in this kingdom should look like. So maybe you need to ask somebody today, hey, will you be my Aaron? Will you be my her? My hands and my arms are really tired right now. Would you mind holding them up? Would you support me in prayer? Because my heart is breaking right now. God is asking us to put away all self-sufficiency and stubbornness and resistance and pride and to learn instead that God helps those who cannot help themselves. I speak to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.